You are Locked On Broncos, your daily podcast on the Denver Broncos, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And the Denver Broncos have taken Super Bowl 50. That's right. You are Locked On Broncos. It is time to drop some knowledge. I am Chad Jensen, the publisher of MileHighHuddle.com, part of Scout Media. And with me is my co-host, Luke Polglaze, a semi-pro football coach, an NFL draft analyst. Luke, how are you today, my friend? I am well. It is a, another Monday, another another opportunity to rise and grind, and I am out here. We're uh, putting the pedal to the metal for you, our listeners, and we're committed to bringing you a daily podcast focused entirely on your Denver Broncos at least five days a week. And uh, we're not here to just report the news. We're going to talk about it. But what we're mostly going to try to do, whatever the topic is, is give you a deep dive on your favorite team. So help us out and uh, you know retweet the uh, episodes on Twitter, share them on Facebook or Reddit or whatever social media you're using out there and help us get the good word out. And also go check out our work over at milehighhuddle.com. We have some awesome premium Broncos content out there, more kind of deep dive stuff for the Broncoholics. Our subscribers get 10% off on tickets, NFL, uh, NCAA, NBA, any major sporting tickets, 10% off and 10% off on Broncos team merchandise through Fanatics. So go check that out. Follow the show on Twitter, at LockedOnBroncos. Just take a quick second, open the app on your phone, and find at LockedOnBroncos. Click follow. And, of course, the home of LockedOnBroncos is Audio Boom. but make sure to also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We got another season's in the books, uh, the coaching changes, the draft's coming up. Free agency is going to be juicy, and you're, you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, now, on this show, we've talked about the prospect of one Tony Romo joining the Denver Broncos, and we're going to talk about it today, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably end up, Luke, talking about it a few more times leading up to free agency and, and the NFL draft. Now, Tony Romo, of course, is not a free agent. He's currently under contract with the Dallas Cowboys um, but after uh, being rendered obsolete by Dak Prescott, of course, he recently told Ian Rappaport um, that the top choice for his next NFL destination is Denver. Now, Dallas owner Jerry Jones reportedly wants to, quote-unquote, do right by Romo and do what he can, basically, to help him get uh, to, to someplace good. Wherever he wants to go, he wants to try and, and uh, facilitate that, whatever it means. Aside from age, aside from injury concerns, one of the big obstacles to moving Romo uh, via trade is his mammoth contract. He's scheduled to count $24.5 million bucks against the cap in 2017. Obviously, the Cowboys, with Dak Prescott playing Pro Bowl caliber football, can't afford to keep him. And smart front office guys know that and are probably going to wait till the Cowboys release Romo and then try to work out a deal with him as a free agent. But that's where John Elway comes in. Over the weekend, Elway was in our nation's capital to celebrate Donald Trump's inauguration. Of course, Elway's a big-time Republican. And while he was there, Elway attended a few victory parties, including House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy's. While he was at that particular party, Elway rubbed elbows with a few notables, um, the Horatio Alger Award winner Glenn Stearns, um, he actually posted a really cool video for those who haven't checked it out. A quick aside um, that was kind of a, an engagement with a, a taxi driver that was talking about, you know, he's giving out his top five quarterbacks of all time and had no idea John Elway was in the back seat and he named John Elway as number one. It's a cool video. It's floating out there. 
go Google it and find it. But that same guy, um, Glenn Stearns, posted a picture of himself with Elway and Romo from that affair. Now, obviously, Romo in attendance. And, Luke, I don't pretend to understand all the legalities of tampering um, at, at the NFL level. And, frankly, I don't really care about kind of that, the minutiae side of those things. I'm no Mike Florio. But with the clear reports coming from, from Romo himself that he has eyes for Denver, Luke, I ask you, what are the odds in your mind that Elway and Romo in a situation like that did not talk a little business? Well, I mean, everything always comes down to business in the football world. And, you know, I would be a little surprised if they didn't, you know, even exchange just a little bit of kind of good-natured ribbing about it. Like, hey, you know, hey, Tony, you know, you're here you might be kind of looking for something next year. You know, even stuff like that while not exclusively saying, so, Mr. Romo, what are your interests in coming to Denver? For You know, it's, it's not so specifically so much as that, but, you know, coaches they'll see players they'll see guys who are free agents and they'll they'll not they'll hit him up um it happens in semi-pro it happens in college i mean heck i've seen it happen in high school you know coaches want talent they're going to talk to talent and they're going to see what they can do to get talent to come to them so you know it wouldn't be surprised me if there was some kind of um conversation that went on you know no specifics nothing like that but just hey you know i heard you might be looking for a home next year well one thing we do know I think we could say at least pretty safely, is that the Broncos would never consummate a trade for Tony Romo at his current salary cap number. But say he was willing to renegotiate his contract pending a trade, what would Elway see as good value to absolutely ensure that he came to Denver? I mean, I can't imagine anything more than a third rounder, and that's really pushing it. I mean, this guy, look, he's going to be 37 years old when the 2017 uh, regular season rolls around. Luke, wouldn't it just be wiser to let Dallas do the dirty work, do all the heavy lifting, release Romo? If Elway has eyes for this guy, if that's a you know if this this uh, chemistry is being reciprocated, let the the Cowboys do the dirty work so that the Broncos wouldn't have to give up any draft or personnel capital to get him. You know that would make sense, and it's just going to kind of uh, come down to in the end what Dallas does because I think there are going to be other teams that are going to be willing to throw a pick at Dallas throw a player just to kind of land Tony Romo and I think one spot that's going to be really interesting for that is the New York Jets now they're pretty hard up in terms of cap space but man they need some kind of something in terms of quarterback help Um, they got you know a whole lot of question marks on their roster in terms of that I mean they, they drafted Christian Hackenberg in the second round they need quarterbacks man Um, I think another interesting spot would be a place like Jacksonville where you could see Blake Bortles kind of on the rocks right there, um, you know, with a new uh, with a new kind of scheme in place there with a new regime. Uh, I think that Tom Coughlin is a savvy guy. He's played against Tony Romo enough times that he knows his value. Um, So I I think that that is a a place that you can kind of link. So I think that there are other teams that are going to be interested in pursuing a trade. And, you know, if Dallas ends up cutting Tony Romo, Romo, they're going to put 19.6 mil dead on the cap. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. They're only going to be saving like roughly about five or so million if they cut him. The problem is they don't have a lot of choice because you just can't pay a backup that kind of money. I don't know. It's a juicy story, though. And typically in the NFL, where there's smoke, there's fire. I can't imagine Elway, honestly, would invite this level of scrutiny, you know, allowing himself to be photographed with Romo unless there's some flames at the source of this story. And even if the Broncos were seriously considering targeting Romo, what would the implications be for the team? 
I mean, this guy hasn't played a full 16 games since 2012. Think about that. And then think about the quality of offensive line personnel the Broncos currently have. And yeah, you've got a new influx in coaching and philosophy that, you know, who knows, maybe that could turn the ship around there and improve a lot of the uh, performances of these guys. Plus, you got the draft and free agency coming up. So you could argue that that's, that's going to improve uh, measurably um, coming up this season. You think Romo's going to survive long behind the group as is, though? I mean, what we know about, you know, your Russell O'Coongs just projecting ahead as if the guys who are currently under contract are still going to be with the team. Donald Stevenson, you know, Ty Sambrilo. Is Romo going to survive long behind that group? Mr. Glassjaw himself, not likely. But going after Romo, in the best-case scenario, does give you upper echelon quarterback play for, let's say, two years, tops. By then... You've got, if you're the Broncos, you've got Paxton Lynch entering a contract year. And then John Elway risks another kind of Brock Osweiler situation where Lynch could feel like, you know, the team never committed to him or made him feel all warm and fuzzy. But then the flip side, in a perfect world, Luke, with a healthy Tony Romo, I mean, imagine what this offense could do with Romo throwing the rock to Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, a couple of young athletic tight ends, you got C.J. Anderson is going to be coming back healthy. Romo would keep the Super Bowl window open another couple of years, health-willing, and allow the Broncos to maximize their defensive talent while this group is still in their prime. Right, and we've seen Tony Romo maximize um, you know, his play behind poor offensive lines. I mean, he's definitely he's, – he's a quarterback who I think performs well under pressure. He uses space in the pocket to his advantage, and we all know what the Tony Romo spin is. You know, it's that kind of patented – someone's coming unblocked off his left side, off his blind side, and he just kind of – kind of, you know, ducks out the back and just wiggles away from it. Um, you know, that sound may or may not be included. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've seen what he can do against that. Obviously, Dallas has a great offensive line the last couple of years, and he still ends up injured. So I do think that is a key component of this that you really have to consider is, well, is this guy going to come in and be a starter, and then we have to play the backup anyway? Or is this guy going to kind of come in and, you know, split time? You know, what's the game plan when you're going to bring in a guy like Tony Romo? I think that has to be very carefully thought through um, because I do think he's going to end up in a different uh, team this coming season. Um, and I really do think that a guy like him with this offense could really work some wonders, especially with Mike McCoy in town. He's had some bad luck. There's no getting around that. I mean, you know, I can call him Mr. Glassjaw, and he does have a penchant for getting injured, but he's also had some pretty bad luck. I know there are some major concerns in the front offices across the league, especially about his collarbone, which has been broken in like a million different pieces. And, you know, when you're getting taken down to the ground by a 250-pound outside linebacker or 300-pound defensive tackle – those those bones that are uh, that have had you know cracks and breaks in the past that have healed up, they're just much more likely to break again. That's why he's had so many problems, especially with his collarbone. Then you look at his back; he's had these back issues, which are are considerably um, major over the last few years in particular. But he is a guy that you know when you think about pocket type of passers who who play well on the move, who are able to escape pressure and create outside the pocket. I mean, I think of Ben Roethlisberger. And the next guy after that I think about is Tony Romo. And, you know, if it weren't for these delicate injuries with his collarbone and his back, I could see him having still, even at 37 years old, a lot of success 
even behind a suspect Broncos offensive line loop. Right. Well, when he's missed that much time with injuries, you know, you kind of do have to wonder, well, you know, how much does he have in the tank? Is there still tread on these tires that he's missed that much time? You know, that that, you know, those many games uh, less that wear and tear on his body. But the flip side is when he's sustained injuries like that, you kind of do have to wonder um, if his medicals are going to check out. And this is a this is a situation very similar to Peyton Manning in Denver. Um, nobody was sure at the time, really, if he was going to be able to throw again. Good point. Um, you know, he had that weakness going on after the back surgeries, um, excuse me, neck surgeries. And uh, yeah, you know, this is a very similar situation where they have to be sure that the medicals are going to clear um, and they're going to have to do their due diligence before they can be sure if he's a, if he's a viable player. One thing's for sure, though, I think, one question here that that has been uh, um, asked or queried tonight is, you know, what what would the game plan be with Tony Romo? I think the answer to that is he would be brought in for one purpose only, and that is to be the starter. But even under that uh, type of a plan, you better be damn sure you have a viable number two option because the odds say he's going to end up missing some time. So whether that's Paxton Lynch, whether that's Trevor Simeon, Whichever guy it is, you got to be confident that he can carry the water for a significant stretch, if not all of the season, if, if a guy like Romo uh, were to go down. But I'm sure there will be more rumblings on this topic as we get a little farther into the offseason. For now, real quick, I want to talk about a, a recent study that was done by the Interactive Advertising Bureau and Edison Research that said that consumers are highly likely to purchase from podcast sponsors. Now, according to their survey of over a 1,000 podcast listeners, nearly two-thirds, 65% of them, were more willing to consider purchasing products and services they learned about during a podcast. 60% added that given equal price and quality, they prefer to purchase from companies that advertise on their favorite podcast. So if you're listening to this show as a business owner, that's some powerful data. We, as a podcast, we cover the Denver Broncos, obviously. That's why you're listening to this show. 98% of our listenership is male. 80% are between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you have a product, if you have a service that you would like to reach that demographic, reach out to us. We can talk about uh, sponsoring, advertising. Our rates are very reasonable. LockedOnBroncos at gmail.com. Now, here's another topic before we get out of here today, Luke. I said publicly via Twitter um, from the at Broncos on Scout Twitter handle that I wasn't going to cover this story, but after getting a few listener and reader questions on it, I think it's best to just kind of wade in and share my thoughts, uh, pun intended. What this stink is all about is something that Charlie Walter of Walter Football said in his uh, Senior Bowl uh, kind of buzz blog. He said, quote, The Los Angeles Rams' hire of Wade Phillips as defensive coordinator was met with a lot of acclaim. That was understandable, as Phillips' defense led the Broncos to a Super Bowl victory a year ago. Many criticized the Broncos for allowing Phillips to leave with the transition to Vance Joseph. Sources with the Broncos, however, with the Broncos, he says, say that Phillips divided the locker room and pitted the defense against the offense. The divided locker room was toxic at the end of the season, and that was why the Broncos felt they would be better off to have Phillips depart. Sources in Houston say that Phillips stirred up some similar problems in the Texans' locker room during the 2013 season, but not to the same extent as in Denver last season. Close quote. 
Wade Phillips, of course, did not take kindly to this report. He took to Twitter and refuted it in no uncertain terms, saying, quote, At Draft Campbell, your sources about me and dividing the team are an out-and-out lie. I resent you saying that. Ask any offensive coach or player. Now, here's what I have to say about it. Firstly, look, Wade is beloved in the Broncos locker room by defensive and offensive guys. Okay, The issue between Phillips and John Elway ultimately came down to money. And honestly, it was an obstacle I'm told that dates back almost to Super Bowl 50. Again, Phillips wanted to be the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. That's what this breakup was all about. Phillips wanted to be paid commensurate with his accomplishments coming off a Super Bowl championship. And Elway didn't think it was worthy to pay a coordinator in excess of $2 million per year to coach a defense stacked with Pro Bowl and All-Pro caliber talent. Several Broncos players have come out um, on Monday and also refuted this this Walter report publicly. Some even used some uh, not-so-kind so language in so doing. Now, Luke, I like Walter Football as a football website, as a resource, especially when it comes to scouting and the NFL draft, but he sure did kick a hornet's nest with this one. He probably should have... I don't know. He probably should have known better. Well, I mean, that's part of what happens with reporting something that's going to be controversial is you know that you're going to take flack for it. I've certainly done that in the past, and this is no uh, no kind of – no difference here. Um, I, you know, I do have some issues with the way that Walter Football has run their site in the past. I do think that they're a little bit too quick to run stories without getting confirmation. Um, this, this certainly seems like it could be one of those situations. And really I think the thing is most people don't realize – you know, on the field, in the locker room, the defense and offense on most teams have a rivalry. You know, the defense doesn't like the offense. The offense doesn't like the defense. You know, it's not to say that they're at each other's throats. But every time, you know, the uh, the defense comes back to the sideline, um, you know, after forcing a three and out, they'll be like, hey, you know, hey, we're doing our job. And like, you got to go get some points for us now. Like we're doing we're doing our job. Right. Um, so, you know, that's mm-hmm. part of it. You yeah. know, that's a, certainly a realistic uh, expectation for football teams. That's just what happens. Um, so I do think that that, you know, certainly plays into the natural defensive offensive rivalry. Um, but I don't think that a coach like Wade Phillips, who's been around the block enough times would be kind of sowing that discord by any means. Um, and as you know, as we've seen from the reaction from the players, I think that that kind of plays into that. I don't discount the report by any means, but it just does seem unlikely. It does seem unlikely, and especially when you consider the stakes. I mean, excuse me, Phillips and Gary Kubiak go back a long, long way. I mean, they're very close friends. They're they're very tight compadres, and why would he want to do anything that's going to sink his his team? Why would he want to do anything that's going to hurt Gary Kubiak? You know, and it is tough when you're a publication. I know as a publisher of a of a, a major site. Listen, sometimes you have, you know, if you're good at what you do, you're going to cultivate sources. You're going to make connections in this business. Players, scouts, coaches, um, other media guys, and sometimes you're going to be given information that isn't out there. Sometimes that information is, you know, um, inflammatory. Sometimes, you know, it's behind the scenes stuff that's intriguing. But I think when it comes to a type of of report or information you're given from an anonymous source, even if it's supposedly from the team, someone within the team, that is literally um, going to hurt another person, coach, player, or even a team. If it's really, I mean, you just got to be careful about coming out with stuff like that. 
I think maybe he jumped the gun a little bit on this and probably should have done a little bit more due diligence before coming out with such a public and, and inflammatory report. Right. And, you know, that certainly does play into it. And it's, you know, it's always difficult when you're going to come out with a report like this about Wade Phillips, who's had so many positive reports about him over the years that you are kind of fighting against the tide. And, you know, like I said, I've had controversial reports before. I've broken stuff that I've gotten a lot of flack for publicly and privately. Mm. Um, So it's, you know, it's not always easy, um, but, uh, you know, you got to stick to your guns on those. Well, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow at Locked on Broncos on Twitter. We're up to 200 followers, and that's good for only being around, I guess, for uh, an account being in existence for four four to six weeks, something like that. But uh, we can do better. Help us out. Follow at Lockdown Broncos. You can find Luke in the Twitterverse, at Luke Polglaze, and myself, at Chad N. Jensen. We want to hear from you. We love the engagement, so keep hitting us up. Check out the other killer podcasts on the network. Locked on NFL Draft is killer. Locked on NFL with Matt Williamson. Great show. And don't forget to subscribe. For Luke, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Mile high huddle. 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 Huddle.